No matter who you are, things in your life probably aren't going as expected, whatever that means. But the things you are doing right now, no matter what they are, that's your life. It's not a plan B. I'm your host, Madeline Mortensen, and you're listening to This Is Not A Backup Plan. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and happy week three of March Sisters Madness. I am so glad that you are here and I'm so excited to talk more about the March Sisters this week. I hope you had fun with your March Sister inspired outfit activity last week. And this week's activity is to try out one of the March Sisters hobbies. I've been debating on what I'm going to do. I haven't quite decided yet. I've been thinking maybe I'll do a little bit of playing the piano. I took some piano lessons last year after I finished my master's degree, and I would have loved to keep doing that. But then I moved to Salt Lake, and it's just not something I started again. So I'm thinking maybe I'll get out that piano book, and maybe I'll channel some Beth March and play the piano. Like I've said about all my guests this month, this month is the month where I really invited people that I've been dreaming about having on my podcast, but just haven't been able to think of something that would quite make sense for them to talk about. I've been using this month as an excuse to just get a chat with them about something that I think is so much fun. This week's guest is Meg Walter. She's a writer and a podcaster based in Utah, based on the Wasatch Front, and I just love her thoughts. She writes a lot about movies and televisions and pop culture and Utah culture, and she does it in a way that's fun and um, playful, and I just appreciate the tone that she takes, and I love hearing what she's thinking about. And so I knew that I wanted to chat with her about Little Woman and learn more about what her experience with the story had been and what some of the things were that stood out to her. So enjoy this conversation with Meg Walter. Thank you so much for joining me, Meg. Will you just take a minute to introduce yourself? Hi. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I am Meg Walter. I am the co-host of way too many podcasts. I do Strangerville, a storytelling podcast with Eli McCann. And then he and I also host Hive Mind, which is a podcast that we truly have no business doing all about movies and TV. And then I also have two other co-hosts, Emily King, who talks about The Real Housewives with me, and Irene Stone, who talks about local restaurants and food with me. And we sometimes talk about The Bachelor. When we're in a goofy mood, I am also a writer at Deseret News and an editor, and that's pretty much everything relevant to this podcast, I would assume. I think so. And I have to say, like, I especially enjoy your podcast. So I have a plug for that. I like the Hive Mind stuff, and I really look forward to Stranger Bell each about each week whenever it comes out. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. So today we're talking about Little Woman because in March, not really related to my podcast theme, but in March, because it's my podcast and I can do what I want, I'm doing four episodes related to Little Woman. And so I thought of you because when I was moving from Logan to Salt Lake this summer, I listened to like all of the Strangerville back catalog. And then I list not all of it, but a lot of it. And then I listened to like old Hi-Fi episodes. And I 
was so excited to listen to when you talked about Little Women, and I just really enjoyed that. And so I wanted to talk with you today about different movie adaptations of Little Women, some of your favorite things, some of your different experiences with them. So before we get into that, will you just tell me what like your first introduction to the story of Little Women was, if you remember? I do remember. So I was probably like second or third grade. And my mom took me to see it with all of her sisters and her mom. So it was a very special outing for me because I got to be one of the ladies, like one of the grownups and go see a movie that wasn't animated, which was a big deal for me, a grownup move. And we went to the Sierra Theater which is a theater in Orem, True Heads know. Anyone who grew up in Provo, that's like where you went to go see all the new Disney releases and stuff. It was like the hopping place. So we go and we see Little Women. And I remember being a little concerned that I might get bored because it seemed old timey and they were talking like adults and it was maybe going to be a little too old for me, but I loved it so much. I had the best time watching Little Women with my mom and her sisters and her mom. I have not been to a movie at that theater, but I've been to a play there. And I feel like that would just really add to the like experience. It's like such a cool place. It is cool. It has gone through a lot of different iterations. It used to just be one screen and then they like really expanded and added a second screen. And that was a huge deal for the community. We didn't even have like we have an old movies eight where you could see movies that had come out months ago, but we didn't have a Cinemark. We didn't have a Carmack. Like we didn't have any of the big things. We just had the Sierra. And so it was a special treat to go. So which version of Little Women was this? So it was the 90s version with Winona Ryder and Kirsten Dunst and Susan Sarandon. Okay, that's the first one that I watched. We had the VHS. So I don't remember necessarily the first time that I watched it, but it was something that my mom and I often watched. If like my dad and my younger brother were somewhere else, like we would watch that. And so I feel like because of that, I can't remember the first time, but I just always remember it being like an important part of my childhood. Yeah, I think it's an important part of a lot of women's childhood. It's one of those foundational first movies that you watch with the women in your family. Yeah. So from that first time, is there like a scene that you remember the most or was there something that struck you the most or you connected with? I think because of my age at the time I saw it, I was really responding to Kirsten Dunst's character. She too was a child. And I remember thinking she was such a an idol, someone to look up to. And I think a lot of it was lost on me. I remember being very sad about Beth. I think Claire Danes gives a phenomenal performance in that movie and so in awe of Winona Ryder's Joe. I think that I think Saoirse Ronan is great, but I think Winona Ryder will always be Joe in my mind. And I think that's the first movie I saw Winona Ryder in. So like any movie I saw her after, I was like, oh, it's Joe, which is funny because it's Winona Ryder and she's an icon. But watching Edward Scissorhands, I was like, oh, there's Joe. I really, I loved all the characters. I wanted to go to that dance so bad where Joe dances with Laurie. And then of course the Hummels, like just so devastating. And it was so affected me as a child of how sad that story was and losing Beth. And I think that was one of the first movies I had seen where there's like actual grief and people losing a family member. And it really stuck with me. It's very well done the way it's put together that like you get to know Beth, you love Beth, 
Beth has lost. And you see this circle of people grieve in different ways and also have to form new relationships with themselves, the world, and each other as they're figuring out how to navigate such a pivotal loss in their lives. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had on today the newer version, the Greta Gerwig version, which I love. And my 11-year-old sat down to watch like the back half of it. And she said, I like how they didn't make it too sad when Beth died. She meant that as like a positive, but I think it's a less effective death in that version of the movie because of the way she messed with the chronology. I think that in the first one, you become so attached to Beth, the character, because you've gotten to know all of Beth, the character before she dies. Whereas in the Greta Gerwig version, you've still got Beth to meet after her death. And I just think... In that regard, the 90s version is more successful. It really softens the death if you start out knowing what a character's fate will be or if you know what a character's fate is sooner in a story. Which is why I read the Wikipedia page for all horror movies before I go see them so that I am emotionally prepared for whatever happens. I know exactly who will die and how. I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah, thank you. So that was something I was curious about. So you talked about the first time you went and saw it, you saw it with all these women in your family. And then I know you have kids and I know that you have two daughters. So was that one of your first experiences watching Little Woman with your daughter or have you done that before? No, I hadn't done it before. And I feel bad that I hadn't thought to do it. And I'm thankful to you and this podcast opportunity because it gave me a reason to turn it on. And it wasn't until she sat down and started watching that I thought, oh, she would really like this movie. She's old enough to enjoy this movie. And it made me think of all the other fun movies I can show her of the same cloth. I think we're entering a fun new era of, you know, spending our Saturday watching Pride and Prejudice and Little Women on repeat. So I'm looking forward to it. But no, today was the first time she had seen any Little Women. I think 11 is a really exciting age for like entry into a lot of these stories. Like you're old enough to understand more about books, more about history, more about things. Some of those things that like weigh you down when you're younger, trying to watch something like Little Women or Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And she wants to be an adult. She's hit that age where when the cousins come over, she'll stay upstairs with the aunts and uncles and chat. So I think you're right. I think it's the prime age to start introducing her to some of those stories. Did she have any other thoughts? I'd be so curious. Like you can't go back and watch Little Women for the first time. So I always love hearing what people say when they watch it for the first time. I think that she really loved Joe. She is very into making movies and writing scripts right now. So Joe writing these scripts for her sisters to perform felt like something very cool and novel to her. She was fascinated with a part of her writing a novel. I would say that was probably the biggest thing. And then it was a lot of who's that? Why is she doing that? You know, yes. <laughs> watching with an 11 year old still requires quite a bit of patience, but I was glad she was engaged and paying attention to it. As you say that with like her writing scripts for like the movies that she's making, I think that's something so interesting with Little Woman. Like my understanding is Louisa May Alcott didn't really think that this was going to be relatable to very many people because mm-hmm. it was just like her and her sister's stories. And obviously we know at the time, like girls and women were very excited about this. And then I think it's interesting throughout time how relatable it has remained, even though like certain things have changed, like here's your daughter doing some of the same things that the March sisters are doing. 
it was probably pretty exciting at the time for young women to have this female author to connect with and see themselves in and the stories she wrote to connect with and see themselves in. And now it's an embarrassment of riches. But I think it's a real testament to her how well it has stood the test of time. You mentioned the 2019 version, which I like loved going and seeing. And it was the last thing I saw in theaters before the pandemic happened. So when the pandemic started, like it was this moment of normalcy that I thought back to. And I'm like, I didn't even realize like how special it was that I went and saw that over Christmas break with other people. Like the theater was very full because it was Christmas break. What were your thoughts when you first saw the 2019 version? What was your experience watching it? What were some of the things that stood out to you? I loved it. I saw it with my husband who was so confused. (laughs) He was so confused. And I think that I loved it so much because I had the foundation of the 90s one. And I have something really embarrassing to admit, which is I have never read the book because I can't, I can read a book and then go see the movie and it's fine. But if I see a movie before I read the book, I can't do it because all I'm seeing is the movie and I'm just seeing those characters in my head and I can't do it in that order. So I've never read the book, but I did have the 90s version as a foundation. And so the chronology didn't bother me. The way she messed with that and shuffled the deck a little bit was totally fine for me. He was very confused. And I know a lot of people were very confused. I've heard that from a lot of people, too, that the chronology was really hard. I think that if we're giving notes, Greta, I think that way be like you lost some people there. I don't think Laura Dern was very convincing as Marmy, nor was Bob Odenkirk as the dad. I think that Emma Watson is so beautiful and so lovely and such a terrible actor. Like, just, we need to stop putting her in things. Let's just pay her to be lovely. Like, oh, she doesn't need to work, guys. Stop putting her through this. Stop putting all of us through this. But I think everything else about that is so... Good. And even before I watched it today, I was like, what am I going to think of this Timothy Chalamet performance? Because Timothy Chalamet is kind of like a freaky little dude, you know, like he's very squishy. He's hard to pin down. He can be like weird in movies, but he's so good in this. He's so good as Laurie. I think Saoirse Ronan's a revelation. And I think Florence Pugh is the best part. She really added a dimension to Amy that allowed a lot more women to see themselves in that character as previously had and made Amy much more sympathetic and nuanced and interesting. So I think it's Flo's movie, honestly. I think a huge reason why Amy is so redeemed in the 2019 one, and I don't think this is an original take at all, but I think casting one actress as Amy is part of what redeemed her because it's really hard to connect with Amy in the same way you connect with other sisters when she changes to be a whole new person, literally a whole new person halfway through the movie. I think that is a challenge in connecting with Amy the way you connect with the other sisters. Yeah. And it's weird because you're like, why is this adult woman in school with all these children? You know, there are some things you have to look past, but I I agree. I think it makes her a much more three-dimensional character. And I have read the book. It's been a while. I like the book. I think something about adaptations of Little Women is they take on a flavor of the time. Does that make sense? Like Little Women like was taking like those women very seriously for the time. I think there were things that were revolutionary about it. It's an 1800s novel. So you yeah. read it and you're like, 
oh, this isn't what I'm familiar with. But when you watch like the one from the 90s, when you watch the one from 2019, like they take on elements of of the time that they're made in. And so I really like that about modern adaptations, like different ways that I connect with this story. Amy's not that much younger than the other sisters. Like the other sisters, I can't remember what the ages are. The other sisters are a little bit closer at age, but Amy's not that much younger. Like she's a lot closer to age into them than a lot of the movie adaptations would lead you to believe. That's interesting. Yeah. I think that Greta too took a lot of creative liberties that I like and I appreciate. I think adding the editor is really fun. And I think the way she plays that ending is really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting to know about the book. I should probably eventually read it, but I'm happy to have seen the adaptations. I would say listen to it. It's okay. kind of I think it's a I think it's a better audiobook experience. Sure. Um I will say so I love the editor. And I think the ending is so clever. And I think one of the things that I love the most about the 2019 version is like in the 90s version, there's very much a love story between Joe and the professor. In the 2019 version, there's a love story between Joe and her book. Mm -hmm. I think that was like a very beautiful part of Joe to focus on that when you look at this movie and you look at what you have to cut, I think sometimes Joe's book doesn't get given the same level of love that like Joe herself would give her book. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I would also add that, I don't know, I think that the intention was for the ending to be pretty ambiguous, but because because we see so little of the professor, I think it was very much like this didn't actually happen. You know, I wish it had been even just a little more ambiguous. I wish we had become just a tad more attached to the professor in a way that we're really rooting for them to get together and then examining why we're rooting for them to get together. I think she does that to some extent. I think she could have pushed it a little more. I think that's a really good point because I think, yes, I come away in the 2019 version feeling a little bit more like maybe it didn't happen is what I lean a little bit more towards. And I read some things online about people that are furious about that. And I'm like, I don't care that you're angry because I love this reimagining of an ending of trying to have it both ways, I think was really clever to attempt. Are you even making anything worthwhile if a group of people aren't very angry about it? Exactly. I think, too, with what you're saying of it being Flo's movie, I think that the focus on money that Greta Gerwig did and the speeches around money and the speeches about making your own way in the world were very powerful and just such an interesting way to examine the story. And I think that contributes to Amy's redemption. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it also makes Meg, um, Meg, Meg's the, like, who cares about Meg? But I feel like the money aspect in this makes her the tiniest bit redemptive and likable and relatable, I think is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, because without the money aspect, like, what even is her character? I think so. Have you watched, this came out 2017, 2018. Did you watch, like, the three-hour masterpiece little woman no okay i was preparing for this podcast and i texted all my friends today and i was like who do you identify you know which sister are you we all want to be joe but how many of us are actually joe right (laughs) my friend found this quiz from pbs and all of the images are from this adaptation of little women that i have not seen and i became very angry that this version exists and i have not seen it have you seen it's amazing Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I Have you been 
to the Utah Theater in Logan. No, sorry. It's okay. No, it's okay. It's just very cute. It's very cute. That's on the little teeny tiny historic center street in Logan. They have a few like old theaters that they've restored. Very pretty. Very cute. They did, PBS did a screening before it played on the internet or the television. But before the, before the premiere, before the television premiere, they did a screening of the first episode. So my friend and I went. So we watched the first episode. It was beautiful. It was stunning. It ends very suddenly, right? Because it's like part of a three-piece arc. And then I had to wait to watch the other two. It is beautifully done. It's been a while since I've seen it. I think what is so amazing about having three hours is you develop each of the sisters in ways that you do not develop them in a movie that's like around two hours. Beth got developed, I think, some of the fullest that I've ever seen Beth. Like there was time to spend in the house at the Lawrence's in Beth's world. And so I think like Winona Ryder's Joe is probably one of my favorites. And then Beth in the three-hour version just has a richer world than I've seen in the other ones. And then Amy, of course, in the 2019 one. But for something to do with a daughter, like three hours on a Saturday, it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I would really love to check that out. It's interesting you mentioned Beth and not getting much of her world because I've always felt I've always felt bad for Beth, not just because she dies, but because she plays as just like the martyr and only the martyr. And I've always wanted to know more about her. And did she have moments where she was angry? And was she funny? And like, what did she like to eat? You know, I feel like all we get is her sad story. And I think it's great that there's an adaptation out there that gives her a little more room to breathe. I'm going to check that out. I think you'll really enjoy it. It's very fun. I just felt like we were like living in this like wonderful moment for me as someone who is obsessed with little women. Like we had the PBS version, which was so wonderful. Then there was the one that was set. Did you watch the like modern little woman that I'm like 95% sure was filmed in Utah based on like who the people in it were? I've only heard it referenced. Was it like the Mormon little women? I don't know if it was not clearly Mormon, but it came out... 2018 the coach the dad coach bolton from high school musical is the dad is mr march which is is interesting is it bad it's bad yeah and i say this as someone who loves little women it's so bad i took my friend to see it i I apologize my (laughs) sister wanted to watch it so we were watching it because she really wanted to watch it my brothers were there and they're like what's wrong with this movie and i'm like no this is not little women this is not Oh. Yeah, it just was, it was fine. The characters are just too one-dimensional. As we've been talking about, like, Amy's speeches about money are so important for, like, fleshing out who she is and her desires or her ambition. Yeah. Best world is important, and you just don't get that with something that's even more watered down. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Nice try, guys. Yeah. Maybe don't. Yeah, maybe next time, think of, think again. Think twice. Yeah. How did your daughter feel? And maybe she didn't watch enough of it to be attached. How did your daughter feel about Laurie and Amy ending up together? She came in too late to understand that dynamic. She did see Laurie propose to Joe. She hadn't watched any of their friendship or relationship to understand why it was so devastating for her to turn him down. So she didn't really respond to that in any way. That makes sense. How did you feel about that when you were watching the movie for the first time? Do you remember? So sad. Even when he's with Amy, I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure? I still feel weird about it. I 
want him to be happy. And I think Amy deserves the world. And I just am like, are you guys sure you want to think about it? How did you respond to it? So this is the thing. I don't remember how I felt when Beth died. And I don't remember how I felt about that because I don't remember watching it for the first time. I have always lived in a world where Beth dies and where Amy and Laurie get together. So I don't remember what my first impression of it was. As I've gotten older and I think about the different reasons why people get married, it makes more and more sense to me. Does that make sense? Like, I think Laurie had a strong desire to be a March sister. Like, I think, like, you watch him, like, walk into the home for the first time. Like, this is something he'd never experienced. And so I think when Laurie thought about home and where he'd want to be for the rest of his life, like, it was in the March household in one way or another. And Amy wanted stability. And so in so many ways that like makes sense for me, but it is so sad to see them be so close together. When my sister listened to the book for the first time a few years ago, so probably when she was like a young teenager, 12 or 13, I texted her and I was like, what was your favorite part? And she texted me back and said, it was going to be when Joe and Laurie got married. (laughs) Was her reaction. Like that was going to be my favorite part of the book. She was very upset about it. I mean, it's still, I, I, we've still got wounds from it. Yeah. Which sister are you? I feel very strongly that I'm a Joe, which I like feel a little bit silly saying because everyone says that, but like I'm a writer. I feel like my path has looked very different than my friends' paths have looked. And I've just always felt like that Joe urge to be in the world and to feel the world. Yeah. What about you? I never know. I'm not Beth. Beth is way too nice. I'm not Meg. I think Meg is too nurturing. I am either an Amy or Joe. I do get really upset when people give me negative feedback on the things I write. So I might be Joe in that regard. But I think I'm also a bit pragmatic, more pragmatic, which I think is part Amy. Maybe I'm a little bit of both. And maybe that's maybe you can be too. I think so. I have thought that because of like my upbringing and like just my cultural experience that I present in the world a lot more like a Meg. Mm-hmm. I'm an oldest sister. And so I feel like that need to like nurture people and take care of things and make sure things are fine. But in my heart, like Joe's ambition is what I really resonate with. I didn't know you were a writer. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. What are you writing right now? Lots of Q&As about behavior that you should not do. I just finished one about anti-Semitism. Wow. <laughs> Light. Yeah. So fun. that's been my assignment at work a lot lately. Okay. The funnest thing that I wrote was I work at the University of Utah. So everything I do is related to the University of Utah. The two women that made the state Supreme Court bench majority female are both U Law alum. And so I interviewed them and I wrote a piece about their experience, like with their law careers, why they why they went to law school, why they became judges, their experience like navigating their careers as parents, and then now their experience being on the state Supreme Court. So that one was really fun. I love just, and I think you've said things about this before, like it's fun to have these jobs where like you can ask people to talk to you who are cool and they talk to you because it's your job. And then you like experience these things you wouldn't have experienced in normal life. I just got off the phone with Britton Covey, who's headed to the Super Bowl. 
on Sunday. And yeah, why would he ever talk to me? <laughs> Except I happen yes. to be reading this story. But I love that. I love the opportunities that writing gives you and the worlds it opens up. It's also like the worst and hardest thing in the world, but it is. Oh, it is the worst thing. The worst part of my job is the part when I actually have to sit down and do the writing. Yeah. And then the part where I have to sit down and edit the audio, like worst parts of my job. But there's so many things about I love. So I keep doing it. I know. I know. It's a vicious cycle, but that's cool. The other thing that's cool about it is there's so many questions that would be inappropriate to ask people in like normal company. Like being curious is not a good enough reason to ask a question that's just like truly is a fact. However, when you tell someone, I'm going to interview you about X and they consent, there are things they expect to be asked and ways in which they expect to be vulnerable. And I think that's another really cool element. Yeah, I do too. Sometimes I'll find myself crying talking to a source and we're both crying and it was like, who, how did we get here? You know, it's just really beautiful. Yeah. It's nice Um, when people are vulnerable enough to share that with you. What stands out with you from Little Women the most? Is there a scene or a moment that you think about the most or that you find like the most poignant or the most relatable? I mean, it changes every time I watch it, but Today, when I watched it, my biggest takeaway was how content they all were to be with each other and just be a family unit. They didn't need much else beyond each other. And I think that's what a loving home looks like, is you're just happy to be together. And they do such a good job of creating this cozy world. And I think the way that Greta used lighting in her version is so interesting with the before and after lighting and ending in like kind of a neutral light. But I think that the coziness really lends to like this insular, tight, happy atmosphere that you want to be a part of. And I think we all have those moments with our family when we are just completely ourselves and completely happy and know what love feels like. And I think that's Mm -hmm. such a beautiful gift for those of us who have experienced that. And I think it's represented so well in the film. I love that. And it just, it goes back to the idea that so much of this is like very transcendent, like continues to be relatable and continues to be poignant. And it also, I think, even if Beth in some of these movies isn't as developed as she could be because of time, it shows why like Beth's world was rich. Like when you understand like these glimpses you get of how rich the March family's home and their relationships are. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so fun. Is there anything else you want to add? No, thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for giving me a reason to rewatch Little Women. Oh, you're so welcome. Do you want to tell people where they can find you on the internet? Oh, gosh, too many places. You can find both Hive Mind and Strangerville wherever you listen to podcasts. And then I'm on Deseret News all the time. You can search Meg Walter, Deseret News, and... <laughs> Read the comments if you want a wild ride. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much to Meg for her time. And thank you so much to you for listening. I hope that this conversation inspired you to curl up with a cuddly blanket and get yourself a nice little treat and to watch some of the Little Women movies. I think you definitely deserve some cozy movie watching time. Next week will be the last week of March Sister Madness. I have one more very fun guest for you. I hope that if you are participating, you will share some of the pictures that you've taken on social media. I'd love to see what your book looks like, and I'd love to see any of the other March Sister fun that you are having. I can't wait to chat with you more next week. And in the meantime, remember, this is your life. It's not a plan B. Bye.